Most entrepreneurs struggle to generate more customers and online leads. Lack of quality online leads means lack of revenue, and that's bad for your business. Here at Investing in the US podcast, we have partnered up with Ardor SEO, who have developed a system to help maximize your business and online exposure. Your experience as a business owner can radically change for the better with the right SEO team. And with Ardor's system, you wouldn't believe how simple it can be. So find out more by heading over to ardorseo.com. That's A-R-D-O-R-S-E-O.com. Now back into the show. It is not just important to have a good planning commission and understand how they think. Um, it needs to be an entrepreneurial con- context. You know, the, the bureaucratic mindset that got good people in government, but when you get to the bureaucratic mindset, it's so easy to say no. Mm-hmm. And in many cases, in planning commissions, too, is, is that it's the folks who are on the planning commissions don't have the expertise necessary to make the decisions that affect people's lives like they do. Welcome to Investing in the U.S., a podcast for real estate investors, business owners, and aspiring entrepreneurs looking to break into the U.S. market. Join Reid as he interviews go-getters, risk-takers, and the best in the business about their journey towards financial freedom and the sheer joy of creating something from nothing. G'day, g'day, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another cracking edition of Investing in the U.S. podcast from Los Angeles. I'm your host, Reed Goosens. Good as always to have you with us on the show. Now, I'm glad that you've all tuned in to learn from my incredible guests, and each and every one of them are the cream of the crop here in the United States when it comes to real estate investing, business investing, and entrepreneurship. Each show, I try and tease out their incredible stories of how they have successfully created their businesses here in the U.S., how they've created financial freedom, massive amounts of cash flow, and ultimately create extraordinary lives for themselves and their families. Life by design, as I like to say. Hopefully, these guests will inspire all of my cracking listeners, which are you guys, to get off the couch and go and take massive amounts of action. If these guys can do it, so can you. Now, as you know, I'm all about sharing the knowledge with my loyal listeners, which is you guys, and there's absolutely no BS on this show, just straight into the nuts and bolts. Now, if you do like this show, the easiest way to give back is to give us a review on iTunes, and you can follow me on Facebook and Twitter by searching at Reed Goosens. You can find the show wherever you podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and Google Play, but you can also find these episodes up on my YouTube channel. So head over to reedgoosens.com, click on the video link, and it will take you to the video recordings of these podcasts where you can see my ugly mug, but the beautiful faces of my guests each and every week. All right, enough out of me. Let's get cracking and into today's show. Today on the show, the pleasure of speaking with Doug McAllister. Doug is a pastor turned businessman with a good portion of politician thrown in, and he's also an author. Doug's career has been varied over the lifetime of the last 40 or 50 years, and his ministries took him around the world, including to Australia. He's also been the mayor of a local town of over 100,000 people, which took him to the halls of Congress where he worked with the nation's leaders. And his connections coupled with his business experience, uh, corporate restructuring, leadership development, and much, much more had made him very, very attractive to Fortune 100 companies and local businesses alike. Uh, Today, Doug has a current role as the president of Paradigm Companies, a one-stop shop 
for private equity, and he is a natural fit for utilizing his last 40 years of experience making those around him successful. I'm hugely excited to have him on the show today uh, to share his incredible insight and just his massive journey through life and different careers. But enough out of me, let's get him out here. G'day, Doug. Welcome to the show. It's good to be with you, Reason. Boy, that, that introduction, I, I'm, I'm kind of embarrassed. It sounds pretty good. <laughs> Well, for the, for those people who are listening in, we, we will we will cut to the chase. We just this is this is version two because we we just had some technical issues. So, uh, Doug has been very kind to to re-record this. So, thank you very much, mate. Um, but Doug, before we dive into today's show, do you want to rewind the clock and tell me how you made your first ever dollar as a kid? It, uh, the first one is a vivid memory for me. I was in school. I think it was first grade. Um, in a little town, Claremont, Indiana, right outside of Indianapolis. And, and we were all tasked to, to do a fundraiser. And so I was going door to door, knocking on doors. That's back when it's, when it's first grader could do that safely. And uh, we were, um, I was having absolutely no luck. I was trying to sell, I don't even remember what it was, to, to all the neighbors in the area. And I got to this one guy, I was very dejected. And I literally said to him, you're probably not going to buy this. And he said, well, why? And said, well, no one else wants to. And, and to my surprise, he bought everything I had. And <laughs> I discovered sympathy works sometimes in sales. And so I, I obviously over the years, I fine tuned my sales approach, but that was how I made my first dollar right there. That's awesome. That's awesome. And I know I was actually on your show a few weeks ago and we, we, you give me the sort of the cliff notes of your career. And I just gave the cliff notes just then in the introduction. Um, but now connect the dots for me, because obviously growing up as a kid near India, Indianapolis to going into the ministry, that would have been a very, it's a, it's a different career path that not many people take. So talk, tell me a little bit about that. Well, I'm a preacher's kid. My, my father was a pastor um, and he, he entered into the ministry later, well, in his 30s, which is unusual. Typically, you're going to start a little bit earlier. And, um, but that's what I grew up knowing. And I kind of went into the family business, I guess. And my education was all in that, in the arena of, of the ministry. Although, especially in my graduate degrees, uh, degree, it was a, it was, it was focused on more of a small business type um, degree, MBA type discussion, but it was for the not-for-profits and for churches. And, um, and, and I did that for the, about the first 10 years of my professional life. And that took me several several states here in, in the United States and I was privileged also to to be able to lead a church in Australia for three years in the in the Brisbane area um, Logan City probably familiar mm -hmm. with it and yes. um, and I really um, I, I'm not just saying this because I'm talking to you Reed um, some <laughs> of the best people I have ever met were in that church I, I really really enjoyed that ministry beautiful country and I really want to go back someday as a tourist so I can actually go and see most of the stuff I didn't get to see because I was working too much. But um, unfortunately through the process um, I ended up in a divorce situation and I needed to take a break. So I took a sabbatical um, in the very early 90s and, and moved into that period of time where I had degrees but in the wrong areas. In, 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 in a spirit period of time when it was a recession going on and no one was hiring. And so it was a very tough period for me. Um, and I found different ways to try to make money and everything else. But I literally was, was virtually homeless for a period of time and had to battle back from that. And I did and moved forward into business at that point. Um, eventually having my own business was called Glass Blasters, where glass is a blast and we're etching to serve you. Um, and we... <laughs> 
we would do, um, we would do, uh, by this point I was remarried to the woman I've been married to ever since for almost 25 years now. Awesome gal. Uh, at least I'm prejudiced that way. And, <laughs> yeah. But we, uh, we put this business together and it was a, it was a, it was a glass etching business and whether it was on mugs or, or, or awards, trophies, windows, some of the restaurants you go into, you see glass etched artwork and we would do things like that. We built that into a nationwide business, um, sold that in 2004. By that time I had been elected to office and, um, and moved into a consulting role in real estate and consulting at that point while I was elected to office. And um, I, I was there and was able to have a lot of, quite a few experiences on both the, the, the local, state, and national level, including the halls of Congress, um, where, where I was, had the privilege of being able to impact nationwide policy um, that way. And I, and I would do it again, but by, by 2012, uh, when you live your life front page top full, of a newspaper in politics. You think about what's going on in the world today. Trust me, I have intimate knowledge of what that's like. Um, and it was, you know, for me, it was, it was okay because I'm wired weird. I can handle that. But my wife having to watch that over the years, it was her turn. So in 2012, mm-hmm. I retired from politics as mayor of Murrieta. And um, I went back full in, all into my, into my consulting and adding into that the, the expertise of that knowing how to dance in that space between business and government, because they don't, they don't do well together and they don't talk the same language. And I'm, so I'm bilingual at this point and, <laughs> and having, and being very, very intimately aware of the processes of getting approvals, things of real estate and everything like that through the government process. I was called on about Verizon wireless is one of my major customers and others that to come in and, and fix things. I was the fixer. Um, a project, get a cell tower that couldn't get done in six years, I would get done in six weeks. And because of those relationships and, and through all of that, everything I've said, that also gave me experience and opportunities to walk into corporations. They would bring me on to turn them around if they were failing or if they wanted to grow and, and, and scale to show them how to do that. I, was, I have an expertise in leadership issues and, and team building and um, what, what it takes to take an organization from A to B to Z. And through that, all of that, I was uh, approached by, by Paradigm to come on and um, do all of that for them in the retail investment space. And so it's been like a, a hand in glove fit uh, for all. It's like, you know, I almost feel like I was prepared for this for all that other stuff. Uh, but it was, uh, it was quite, a, um, quite a journey to get here. But I will tell you, without waxing too long here, is that the only way you do stuff like that is you don't quit. Right, and then, sure. in, in this, I know this is version two point but I but I do ultimately and, and, and truly believe that it sounds like you've had a lot of restarts, and particularly coming out of the ministry, it sounds like it would have been pretty tough to readjust to normal life. Um, and I know you mentioned when in, in version one point you're talking about you know resilience and refusing to quit. Um, how important is that to to not only starting businesses, but just to keep going in life, because it sounds like you would, we would have gone through some pretty dark times back in those days to get yourself back, you know, pick yourself off the ground and get back on the horse. Uh, the Bible talks about this guy named David, and this other guy named Goliath. Um, <laughs> and uh, you have to face your Goliaths and stuff, and you have to make a decision. I'm going to kill that giant. Mm. And there's no, there's no other op- option at that point. It's once you, once you decide the giant's too big, you've lost and you can't let yourself get there. And so, you know, not, you know, not that I didn't have dark days, um, but when, when people see me today, 
uh, and and see what's going on in my life today. Compare they don't and they don't know about that. They need to understand that's where it came from. The resilience mm -hmm. of saying I'm just not going to quit. I'm going to I'm going to kill that giant. There's no other option. I'm going to go through him because I got the, the spoils of the war at the other side. Uh, they need to understand that's how that works and that they too can kill their giants if they just decide they're not going to quit. And um, that's I had to learn that the hard way, and I did. And that doesn't mean I still don't need to keep learning that because there's more giants ahead and I'm going to kill them too. Right. Right. No, no, no giants, demons, whatever, whatever you, you talk about, it's, it's the, the mental health when you go through some rough patches that is, is tough sometimes. And for all of us to want not only to reinvent, which is just uh, hard in itself, but, but two to obviously have some, some issues in, you know, the, the outside world that you couldn't control like a recession mm -hmm. <laughs> and having to, having to face that and, and, and man up to, well, not man up to, but, but, but face it in a way which you don't feel like you're constantly being pushed down or, you know, um, you know, the, the constant word of getting said no to, no, we don't want to hire you. No, you don't have enough degrees. No, you don't have the right experience. No, no one's looking for someone in, in your, your caliber or your experience. So it's, uh, it's definitely a, a hard pill to swallow at times, but I think that the resilience piece definitely comes through in, in that little, you know, story. So thank you for sharing. Um, I, I want to sort of shift a little bit into, you mentioned uh, working with governments and, and I know in, in the green room before we press record here, we, we were talking about planning commissions. And I've, I've got a it's near and dear to my heart because I've worked as a structural engineer across many mm -hmm. different cities around the world, London, New York, uh, here in Los Angeles. But in, talk to me a little bit about how you as a business leader, but also working with the planning commission, how they go about making sure they're future-proofing cities, um, housing, uh, infrastructure projects, because all that adds to obviously wealth creation mm -hmm. with what we do as real estate investors. Um, but it does start with government and, and urban planners and making sure there is an urban plan, you know, uh, map or, or some sort of idea that they want to go out and build over the next 10, 15, 20, 30 years. So how important is having a good planning commission in the local city municipality in order to, to, to make it thrive for the, for, for future generations? That's a, that's the million dollar question. Reed. Um, <laughs> yeah. The, I, because I've been on both sides of the dais when it comes to planning commissions as well as city councils. Um, and, and the only way I, the answer to your question is why I ran for office, mm. why I went from the appointed planning commission to elected official. And, um, and it has, comes down to is that it is not just important to have a good planning commission and understand how they think. Um, it needs to be an entrepreneurial con context. You know, the, the bureaucratic mindset that got good people in government, but when you get to the bureaucratic mindset, it's so easy to say no. Mm -hmm. And in many cases in planning commissions too is, is that it's the folks who are on the planning commissions don't have the expertise necessary to make the decisions that affect people's lives like they do. And I was one of them. When I first got appointed to the planning commission, the reason I was appointed because they hated the other guy and there was only two of us applying. And so I got on the planning commission and I didn't know what a general plan was. I didn't know what a specific plan was. I had no idea about anything. And now I was in a situation to where I was making multi-million dollar decisions about somebody else's life. And so I had to learn. I had to learn quick and move through that. Uh, that's not the best model. I'm not suggesting that's the best model. But through the process of that, I was watching a planning commission's job is through, it basically is to make a recommendation to their city council. And nine times out of 10, the city council will accept the recommendation, um, but not always. Uh, watching the process 
that how it went from a planning commission, which is basically supposed to be one plus one equals two, to a, politi- a, 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 a political context of a city council. I'm watching that, and that's why I ran, because I was saying that has to change. Mm. It gets to the, to the decision-making proce- uh, process in the city with the city council level. If you're, it, the political aspect that kicks into that thing just polluted the whole process as far as I was concerned. And my attitude was you had to have an entrepreneurial mindset for your city that started at the top and city council had to go through the city manager and all of their people be thinking entrepreneurial, which means let them fail, let them try something and let them try it. If they fail, great. At least they're trying. We'll figure it out as we go forward and understand that time is money to understand that when you spend somebody's money, it's as if you need to do that like you're spending yours as opposed to you spending someone else's money. You don't really care about that. And putting all those principles in place to create a, an entrepreneurial mindset in government. That's why I ran, and then that's why I spent so much time there was to make that happen. But, the, but to your original question, um, if you are dealing with a city council that just doesn't get it, in my view, what I tell Paradigm, don't do business there. Mm. Just don't. There's plenty of other places you can do business. Find the ones who get it and do business there. And it's interesting you bring up that point because I've, I've invested in – been involved with development in Long Beach here in California, obviously in New York, in London, uh, in Austin, Texas, where I currently invest, but also in San Antonio. And looking at the different ways in which municipalities approach evolution of a city is really important, I think. And and to your point of, of entrepreneurial mindset, if you don't have the right people in place who want have a vision for the for you, you talk about a specific uh, urban plan or the downtown specific plan, which is what are they going to do mm-hmm. to the downtown center in order to make it to attract business, to attract you know spending, to attract uh, customers, mm-hmm. uh, to attract lifestyle. It's 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 completely changed. And if you don't have the right people pushing in the right, or rowing in the right direction, I should say. It, be, it becomes very hard for a city to ever evolve. And, mm-hmm. and that's where pe- cities can, can really be caught up. And I don't want to go on a, on a rant about it, but I, I feel like in the la- since the last recession in 2008, like take, take downtown Los Angeles for an example. Like it wasn't the resurgence of downtown Los Angeles in the last 10 years, that ain't its first rodeo. It tried it in the 80s. It tried it in the 90s. It tried it in the 2000s. It wasn't to the 2000, until the 2000s that it started to evolve and you know get the the the, the people in there to, to to create this incredible thing that is now called downtown LA. The yeah. same thing goes for when I invest in Los, in Austin. You know, and the difference between say Austin and San Antonio. Austin has a, a an urban specific plan that was built back in the late 90s. And the reason Austin is what Austin is today is because of that planning over 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. And so having understanding that as an investor is super important. The reason I, I'm sort of beating this drum and going on a little bit is because when you compare different MSAs and municipalities and where you want to invest, that's going to affect your investments over the long term. And making sure that you align with that is is super important. So I just wanted to sort of stand on my own podium there for a second, but I wanted to get your thoughts on that. Well, yeah, you're, you're a thousand percent right. You're, I mean, and I can, you know, those of us who have the experience like you do in the investment world, when you're trying to interact with government to try to, to move things forward, you know, the, so much of the risk reward version of, the, of, of these transactions is the government side. And right. so you've got to figure that out. And so the only thing I'd add to what you said is, is that it's, you've got to look beyond, even beyond those plans. There are specific mm-hmm. plans or general plans. And you've, you've got to, you got to, there's, there's a certain point where do they have the political will to actually implement the plan that they have put in place. Um, there's a city in this region right now, I will not name, um, <laughs> that um, 
I get deals all the time. Folks wanting to do residential, multifamily, whatever else. And they want us to fund those deals in this city and stuff. I just, but I, in my own due diligence, which I'm mostly responsible for here, I, I, as far as underwriting, uh, we are very, quite a few layers deep in due diligence on everything. And I'll go and I'll talk to the mayor. I'll talk to city managers and, and finance because I want to know the boots on the ground. What's, what's the reality on the ground? I know what the specific plan says. And they'll bring me deals and say, well, it's already been, it's already been entitled and, 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 and. Well, I already know now because of my experience with that city that even if it's an entitled project, they will not let you build it. And they just mm -hmm. say, sue us. Because they have had issues with the freeway being built that's caused all kinds of traffic and they're blaming residential. And so they have a political problem because the residents are saying it's residential, therefore we don't want you to approve anything. Right. Okay, well, I'm not gonna fix that for that city. I'm not, I'm not going to be able to do that, but I'm going to fix it for my investors and I'll say no to those deals. And mm. That's part of, you got to get into that and understand and talk to those folks. Do you have the political will to enforce this plan? And you can find that out fairly easily, but you just got to be able to talk to them and speak the language. And that's what we do. Here. Investing in the US podcast is proudly sponsored by ArdorSEO.com. Online marketing for your business shouldn't be a headache. And that's why the guys over at Ardor SEO have created a no-hassle system that will increase your online traffic, increase your leads, and generate predictable and reliable revenue. So what are you waiting for? Head over to ArdorSEO.com and find out more. That's A-R-D-O-R-S-E-O.com. Now back into the show. Yeah, no, and I think the, the, you bring up a very good point that that is the the the, the interface between um, policy, uh, the public's best interest, and and development and investment and business growth and attracting the right type of people and making sure all those different pillars are, are, are communicating. And it can be very very tough. And and part of what makes developers and what I've worked for many developers very successful over time isn't their ability to think outside the box. It's actually the ability to manage the system and make sure everyone's talking to the right piece, which was my job for four and a half years for a developer in Long Beach. And all I was doing was running around, making sure that one planner was talking to the other planner that was talking to the city councilman that was talking to the neighborhood um, council and, and making sure all those pieces are together to say, okay, we've got together, now let's jump. <laughs> and, yep. and, and that's what takes the longest period of time, which adds the most amount of risk to ground up construction and why yep. ground up construction is so risky. Um, but in saying that, back to my original point of, when you invest in a city, trying to have an alignment that they, they have a future. What does the future look like? And to your point, what does it look like beyond that? And making sure that people do have the best interests of the town and that they have put some thought around it. Because that's if, you don't, if you're going to invest in a city that hasn't even bloody thought about what's going to happen in 20 years' time, they're going to be sucked out the back when the big tidal wave of change comes. So, and, I, and, and that pivots into the next point that I want to talk about with you is your, you now work for Paradigm or you're worth Paradigm. And in the, the the private equity space, uh, and come, bringing your experience in sort of conflict resolution from public and, and government into PE and seeing the issues of there, but you've also got some some issues in, in the in the way the private equity is run in the industry as a whole, and and how that's going to evolve over time. Do you want to sort of give me your thoughts and and two cents on that? Yeah, um, paradigm. Uh, part of the reason I'm here um, is we're a little different. Um, and, and that's by design. Um, our, our focus here is, is of which part of this discussion plays into that we just we just had. Our focus is is we really we want to reinvent the industry. We want to reinvent the space. Um, I have been for years um, complaining <laughs> that I don't have my flying car yet. 
Um, you know, it's, 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 we should have, this is 2020 for crying out loud. Why, why do I not, I still, I still, it still takes gas. What's, what's up mm-hmm. with that? And I, and I always tell people that I blame trains. And, and, they, and obviously they say, what trains got to do all that? Well, the bottom line is, and I think we, you and I may have talked about this in the past, was, was way back when um, trains, they were the thing. They connected the East versus the West. They had the power, they had the money and everything else. But today, you know, unless for many cases, unless except for subsidies, they would not exist. What happened? And my position is trains thought their business was trains when it was transportation. And had they understood what they were about, I'd be flying cars today because they would advance the whole transportation discussion further. Well, that has to be the, you know, for all of our businesses, but for Paradigm, our attitude is, what is our business? And it's not really just money. It's not just um, uh, using these vehicles to, to earn more money for our investors and then for ourselves. And, and redefining that. In a, in a time and this whole, whole COVID discussion is, is really emphasizing that is that we're discovering what our antiquated ways were compared to you know what this remote working went to so bad after all mm. and the different aspects of forcing us into the 21st century and we and we at Paradigm would like to take the lead in that uh, we're we're in a unique position we're newer um, and so we're not so entrenched in the old ways of doing things and so we can look at things and say is that really the best way of doing that is that the best way of taking care of our investors is that the best way of taking care of, of our friends is is that the best way of doing business in this 21st century context and uh, so our goal is to just is to really disrupt the industry and um, when we talk about being a one-stop shop that's part of that discussion is we want we want to reinvent the way we do things uh, maybe give us some context to the listeners of, of what a private equity like shop does because people talk about like on the show well, I haven't actually ever ha- never have had a CEO of a private equity firm on the show so maybe give some context of what it does um, and what industries you're involved with in investing and then maybe also some examples of what needs to change like a specific like this is the problem with private equity today and this is what I think the vision should be for the future okay uh, private equity uh, the best way I can summarize it um, and understand that when I came into this I'm not a finance guy Right. My whole area is 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 scaling companies and, and moving them forward and those kind of things and just bringing that to bear. But I've had to over the last couple of years. I got educated, and so <laughs> I'm going to probably give you a definition that a private equity person who actually knows what they're talking about would be a whole lot more technical with. I'm just going to tell you the way I see it. And sure. to me, private equity, what it comes down to is is that you've got in this case it's real estate. Uh, you've got this opportunity over here, and you got folks who want to make money over here, and you marry them together. And you bring that equity in there. The equity part of that is when there's a project that needs to be built, it costs this much money. And the banks need you to bring this much money to the table so they'll give you this much money to build it. And so the, the, the part that's called your skin in the game is the equity. And this over here is the construction loan. And so our job here, the very basis of that, is that we will arrange for the equity. We, we find investors who will invest into you and your project which will qualify you for the construction loan over here. Now, where we're a little different here is we can do both. We do both the equity and we can do the debt as well. We love it when we do both the same project. It works, mm-hmm. works out better for everybody involved. But where I see the problems, and, 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 and I, we're, we're, we're working to fix that here, we talk a lot about our underwriting process here. We call it a forensic process. Where I see the problems is that too many times, and I, I, I don't really, I seriously, don't want to disparage bean counters. Um, I'm not one of those. 
but too many times the decisions are made just at the accounting level. Mm-hmm. And if the numbers look good, then they'll do the deal. So there's two problems there. If you're a, if you're a firm that, and you don't have someone to do the research, you're going to base it just on the numbers and you're going to get burned sometimes. Hopefully, and your and your success is hoping that that the number of times you get burned is less than the number of times you don't. Okay, um, so if you if you don't understand that there is a whole lot of other levels of underwriting that you've got to go through, some of which we've already talked about, you sit down with the government leaders, you discover what don't you know about this project, so that if the sponsor hasn't been quite honest, you're going to find out what's going on. We've saved our investors millions of dollars, maybe hundreds of millions of dollars of risk because we found out the truth by talking to other folks. And you go and you begin to do this multi-level, um, multi-depth version of underwriting on top of the numbers, then you get a better picture. And that, to me, I think that needs to be done better um, in, in, in this space, in the equity space. And in many cases, what we're finding that we're able to offer our investors and the family offices and those folks is they don't have the back office we do to be able to dig that deep. And so by us partnering with them, either through their investing or whatever else, we're able to give them a higher level of security. And it's my opinion that with real estate, along with maybe a couple other alternative investment aspects, that you can have a great deal of security and still have a great return as long as you understand how to do the process of underwriting correctly. And that's one of the areas we're trying to take the lead in the industry is doing that better than anybody else. Got it. Got it. And then that's super important because underwriting is what makes it, uh, it's more than just the numbers, as you said, it's understanding the municipalities. And it sounds like you're involved with predominantly ground up construction. Is that right? Uh, no, we'll do it all. We are, we're, we're looking existing at assets, value adds, ground up. Um, our, our favorite asset classes are going to be uh, multifamily. Um, mm-hmm. uh, we'll look at that. You know, the things that we would consider recession resistant. Um, we still believe in the, if you do, there's places, uh, example, there are places in this country right now that in spite of all that's been going on, hospitality still kills it. The hospitality is, you know, the hotels, the resorts, and we're heavily involved in raising about $20 million right now for a, for a resort in this region because we know it's going to fly because of what we know about the region. Um, and so there's, so there's that aspect of it, but then there's industrial. We like industrial. Um, the, we're looking closer at office now because of the way, you know, the folks understood that all of a sudden remote working isn't so bad. How's that going to impact office? So we're looking at that real close. But if you look right now, even today as we speak, the stock market um, is at one point was up over a thousand points. The jobs market had the steepest decline in May that's had since I think 1939. It went down 13 plus percent. And, and I mean, there's all these signs that they said weren't going to happen that are happening. And so we're watching this and going, okay, as we're looking at all of that, our data scientists that we have on board is looking at that and trying to extrapolate from that. What's that look like for these asset classes? Because we have to know that before we before we push and put these opportunities out in front of our investors. It's part of our underwriting process. And, and, and so part of what you want to bring with the, the, the disruption that you were talking about with private equity, besides the underwriting, what else is, uh, you know, obviously the underwriting acts as a full service back office, as you're saying, for the, um, for the family office folks, high net worth people. What other elements are you trying to bring to disrupt the PE, the PE world? 
Well, um, I'm not sure how much this is disrupting. The time is going to tell. But one of the other aspects of what we're trying to do here at Paradigm, I'm very focused on this because uh, that's part, once again, I, I want to scale the company. Um, is I just, I don't want to be a, a, a one-trick pony. Okay, our right. thing is equity. We do equity. Yay. Uh, what about, no, not the rest. Well, we're mm-hmm. focused. We do, we're going to, we, we'll do the equity side. We also do the hard money loans and, and the debt side. Um, we want to be a comprehensive um, service, if you will, to our investors. So that, because when you can, that means you can package the deals a whole lot better and, and differently. Um, we don't believe that you have to be the one trick pony. Now, there's a lot of good companies out there that all they do is the equity side and my hat's off to them. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. We're just trying to do it that next step better. And so we, we're, we're, we're doing the whole, the whole nine yards. We even have our own real estate division and real estate professionals and such. And, and, um, and we have our own wealth, wealth advisory side of things. And so we and we're very, very focused on what we call service after the sale. We want to earn your investment, the next one. We want to earn the next one by how we how we treat you in this investment. And so part of that is, is that we have a whole division that's dedicated to spoiling our investors. So we, we, we're getting there hooked up with travel arrangements and, and restaurants and, and, and memberships in different clubs and access to the, to the different things they may not have access to and, and stuff because we just want to take very, very good care of them, not just take their money and give them a return. We want them to, because right. among other things, we feel like it's the right thing. But on top of that, they tell their friends. Right. And um, that, that, uh, that, that's, that's marketing. We like that part too. It's just kind of like being best in class, right? You want to have an experience that everyone loves and enjoys the process because at the end of the day, doing business and investing should be fun, right? You don't, you don't want to do business with people you don't like and, and you, don't, you, know, you don't want to have to constantly be going through conflict. So having a firm or, or someone that you like to do business with and invest with and there's a few perks and, and bells and whistles along the way, well, hey, awesome. Well, <laughs> When you keep in mind too that we're not dealing with just accredited investors, uh, we have uh, we have we're qualified for a Reg A plus tier two um, okay. offering, and so we we have our crowdfunding aspect as well. And so with that, we're dealing with accredited investors, and you know those folks are skittish. You know they're not maybe as sophisticated as those who you know have more to live, more to spend, or more to invest. But in both cases, we take the attitude that it's not budget dust they're giving us. This is their future. This is their retirement. And we want to take good care of them in that process. So we're, try- we're taking care of both those, the credit and non-credit investors. And we want to treat them with, with respect. So how do you find all your investors these days? Are you doing a lot of online marketing or is it through referrals or is it a bit of both? Yes, it's, it's, it's both. Uh, we have a, we do a lot of marketing, uh, a lot of social media marketing. We find that's the place to be LinkedIn, Facebook, you name it. And we do a lot of that, uh, branding through all of that. Um, but it's one of the things that the CEO, Ryan Garland and I are, are mainly focused on, um, is, is the networking with the, with the high net worth individuals, um, family offices, ultra high net worth individuals. You'll see, I haven't been involved in this, but you'll see uh, our CEO in, in Dubai. You'll see him in, in Monaco. Mm-hmm. You see him dealing with, working with those folks. We do a lot of networking. Um, 
what we're doing right now as such is through, through the through podcast. I do podcast. a lot of podcasts. You do a lot of podcasts. And I look at those as a networking tool and I get to meet a lot of extraordinary people along the way. And we find mm-hmm. ways that we can help each other out and do those kinds of things. So we will do a lot of that. Um, and and we, we dabble sometimes from the standpoint of our sales side um, with regard to the, the crowdfunding and, 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 and getting lists and getting connections that way. So our, our folks on the phone can make the phone calls. But we've been finding that we're patient. You know, the more patient way that is just to develop the relationships and, and help each other out. And, we've, and that helps us find a way into each other's networks. So we do awesome. a lot of that. Awesome. Love it. I guess the, the, before we start wrapping up the show here is what's the, um, what's the future got for Paradigm uh, in 2020 and beyond? Um, well, we believe we're going to kill it. Uh, we really do. We are, we are seeing we, during this time with the COVID and, and stuff that there was kind of a pause going on. Um, it didn't really slow us down that much, but it allowed us to just keep packing the pipeline and packing the pipeline. And um, it's, it's, there is so much interest right now in, in investing. There's so much dry powder out there. And, and earning the ear of that investor, is, is, it takes time and developing those relationships, but we're getting closer and closer to where they're starting to see there's something different about this company. And again, we get the opportunity at that point to, to, to pitch them on, on some deals. And we've got, we're opening um, three funds right now, um, looking at a $300 million distressed asset fund, like a $100 million debt fund. Uh, we already have our $50 million Reg A um, that is in place at this point. And plus on top of that, specific funds for specific projects. Um, we're, we're, um, it's, there's a lot going on right now. And part of my job is to keep all those plates spinning and every right. once in a while, I look at somebody else, put another one over there. Where'd that one come from? I got to keep that one spinning. Uh, but we want them all spin in the right direction. And we just see some good days coming for, for our investors here. Apparently. That's awesome. Well, mate, I wish you all the best of luck and we probably should talk offline about um, some private deals that we've got going on as well. But but at the end of every show, we like to dive into the top five investing tips. It's a lightning round. You ready to get into it? Sure. Mate, what's the daily habit you practice to keep on track towards your goals? Every day, um, I have certain things I do every day with, with, with posts to LinkedIn and, 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 and connection requests. And there's just a whole list of things I do every day and I, without fail. Um, and then I'll t- then the other things get added to it. But those are the things I, I make sure I have a, a very, very structured list of things that have, I do every day. Just keep biting at the apple, biting at the apple. It's one small step at a time, right? Just mm-hmm. keep just keep walking over. Uh, question number two is: Who's been the most influential person in your career today? Um, I, I I don't mean to sound weird here, but it's been God mm-hmm. uh, from from day one. It's been that, and um, and it, that is why I believe I'll kill every giant in front of me and such. And on top of that, then the, the most supportive person I've ever had is my wife. She has just right. been there for me. So you put those two things together and I don't think I can lose. <laughs> good, good, good winning combination there, big fella. Yep. Uh, question number three, in your business, uh, what's the most influential tool? And when I say tool, I, I, it could be a software that you use every day or it could be a physical tool like a phone or a journal. Um, so what's the number one tool that you use in your business every day? Uh, software wise, I'm very big into LinkedIn. Because um, mm-hmm. I'm very much into networking, I, and I will use that every day. Um, I build that every day. Um, the otherwise, the, I have also found doing podcasts. 
has been extremely, extremely beneficial. I've met some incredible people. I met you this way um, and such, but uh, developing some good business relationships that way. Um, I would say the tool that, that there's a combination that they're probably are the secret sauce for us. One is computers, technology, use it. Find a way to, to take, I'm looking at blockchain right now. I'm looking at all those things right now to see how we can advance the company. But then there's also yourself. Yep. You've got you to understand your skill set and what you can't do, you find somebody else who can do that well. And you put that team together, put those two things together and, and you have a better chance to be successful. Love it. That's no, great. Good answer. Uh, and I think having that mindset of wanting to evolve over time is, is, is very important as well, coupled with all the other tools that you use on a daily basis. Question number four is, what has been the biggest failure in your career? What did you learn from that failure? Biggest value? Failure. Failure. So what did you, what'd you failure. fail at? And, and what would you learn? Sorry, I haven't been in Australia for a while, so I'm... I'm <laughs> okay. My Aussie accent. The biggest failure in my career? I, yep. Boy, I got to choose from several here. <laughs> um, I, I'll use one. I, I moved to this um, region I'm in right now. It's the Mecula Murrieta Valley here um, in 1987. I've been here for a while. Uh, back and forth, but mostly here. And... Um, I moved here because I knew it was going to explode and I didn't buy any property. <laughs> I didn't take advantage of what I knew was coming. And, um, it was a short sighted. I was here. I don't know what I was thinking at that point. And, um, it was, and I've looked around and with this, what has happened here in this region has been off the charts. And had I, had I been more foresighted then I would have, I'd be in a much different situation today, and um, it's it has been one of the lessons I've learned is is that don't be don't be thinking like this. Don't put, put, you got to look further out. You got you got to look and see outside the box and see what's coming and get really good at prognosticating and uh, and then acting on what you think is going to happen. And right. I take, learned taking action. Then. Yeah, yeah. No, I think that's it's a, it's hindsight twenty twenty, right? It's a little bit of a. It can be a slap in the face sometimes, but it's- uh, Our it's, investors it's, expect us to, so I'm going to figure out, figure that part out. <laughs> Mate, last question before we end here is, where do, people, where do people reach you to continue the conversation? They want to be in your sphere. They want to find out a little bit more about what you do. Where do they go? They can find me on LinkedIn. Um, just just Duck, Duck McAllister. It's Paradigm. You can find me there. That's probably the easiest place to do it. Um, and through that, they can reach out, message me. I'll give them my email, my phone number, whatever it takes. And we'll have those conversations. They can come to, to the paradigminvestments.com. And if you see behind me, it's spelled weird. I don't know really why they did that. That's before me. But it's P-A-R-A-D-Y-M-E investments.com. They can find us there. Love to have that discussion. And um, I will tell your folks there at the same time that um, anybody that's, t that's coming to talk to me, I'm probably going to talk about this guy named Reed. Um, because we didn't get a chance to talk about you very much in this situation, but the, the things that you've got going and your history, and then I want to get a hold of your book. I want to read that story as well. Um, folks, this guy's got the experience you, you, you're looking for if, you're, if you want to really do well in investing in real estate. So we didn't get a chance to talk about you, um, but we're going to do more of that maybe in our next podcast on my side. Yeah, mate. Well, look, thank you. Thank you for the props. I, it, the show isn't about me. It's about giving highlights to people like yourself. So uh, thank you so much for jumping on the show today. I just want to quickly reflect some of the things that I took away from today's show. 
I think the big thing, you know, is is resilience. Yeah. You you have gone through some many many waves and iterations of evolving yourself, going going to, going to the depths of despair, picking yourself back up, reinventing yourself. I think reinvention is another really important word. Um, but the, the the never giving up and having that hope and that vision that this is going to continue to get better. Um, which has then helped you, I think, also have a different mindset. You spoke about the transportation industry in, in the trains, and they're not they're not in they're not in the train industry. They're in the transportation industry, and looking for that, and how do we evolve, and where the flying cars at, and how to apply that to the private equity world in order to be the best in class. I think that is a very important mindset to have because if we lose focus of that and we get too focused on the numbers or just staying still in our lane, we're going to get sucked out the back when the big wave comes. So I think those are the, the couple of big big takeaways that I took away from today's conversation. Did I leave anything out? Well, I just want to encourage folks. One of the things I didn't bring up earlier to, to, to drive the point home, and this is not to seek sympathy. This is to drive the point home. There's folks who are going to be watching this who are, so, who are focused on, on their careers, who are focused on their, on their investors, their investments and things. And, um, and you know, they're, they're maybe going through it right now and such. One of, the, one of the challenges I had in the middle of everything there was my eldest son was killed in a car accident in the middle of all of that. Mm. And, you know, I will tell you that I've seen the worst life can throw at you. But I can also tell you, and I mean this with all my heart, that if you are, if you will not quit, that you, if you will keep moving forward, some days taking just that one more step, but if you do that, you will you will never regret it, and you'll be amazed at where you can go in life in the process of that. And you can take all the worst life has thrown at you, and you can turn it into the best. And I I I never want to go through that again. That was horrible, but I can guarantee you, if you do not quit, there's no limit to what you can do. That's my encouragement. Everybody's watching this right now. Mm. Well, mate, I'm I'm super super sorry for your loss. It's um. Yeah, loss is hard. I've I've had some personal loss in my life as well. Both uh, my younger sister passed away when I was eleven, and my mum just passed away two years ago. So it's uh, yeah, I, I know where you're coming you know from. Know what I'm talking about, so. then, don't you? Yeah, I know what you're talking about, yeah. and 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 it it just goes back to you know when you are at the rock bottom, just realizing that you've got a roof over your head, you can take the next another breath, you've got the next day that the sun will rise tomorrow, and putting it all in perspective, I think, is really really important to help you. Get get back on the horse uh, if if anyone is struggling out there. So, mate, super, yeah, super inspirational podcast today. Again, thank you for taking some time out of your day to jump on the show. Enjoy the rest of your week. As they say, wash your hands, and and we'll catch up soon. Thanks, thanks for having me. Well, there you have another cracking episode jam-packed with some incredible advice with Doug, and he is just a wealth of knowledge. So please do connect with him on LinkedIn or any of the social media platforms. It's Doug McAllister. Uh, make sure you also go out and check out Paradigm.com. It's an interesting private equity firm that is doing a lot of different interesting stuff in and around the Southern California, but also uh, across the nation. Uh, I want to thank you again all for taking some day, some time out of your day to tune in to continue to grow your financial IQ, because that's what we're all about here on this show. If you do like this show, the easiest way to give back is giving it a five-star review on iTunes. And remember, we're going to do this all again next week. So remember, be bold, be brave, and go out and give life a crack. Bye.